0: what we're talking about again, and what we did go into great depth this morning was about the conscience and knowing the difference. And I'll just, I just repeat a couple of small things and then I believe that God will faithfully uh, add to what He already gave us uh, this morning, which I just again was just so incredible. And how deep and, and, and how important it is for believers to know the difference between sin, in the flesh, and sin on the conscience. It's a big difference. And if we don't know the difference, then we're just going to operate in confusion. And again, I was saying, if we can confuse these two things and don't understand them, right, what happens is what, what we become confused and really unhinged or detached from functioning in our experience from a proper image of who we are in Christ. And that is extremely important. Uh, And then also, too, when we don't make the differentiation between those two, then what, what happens then? What is the quality of our worship? We don't have proper worship if we don't have a proper experiential image. Now, every one of us can know this, right? And every one of us, I believe, has experienced this, that there's going to be no believer individually that's taught in any way, or, or, or a decent, a good amount, obviously, that they're going to have and be conscious of indwelling sin. They're going to be conscious of that. And we read these scriptures, and I, I, want, to, I want to bring this out again, just in brief, and then we'll, we'll go on from that. Here is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. It says this. And here's, here's a differentiation that we need to know that if you just read certain translations, uh, it's not going to be enough for you to know how to uh, di- differentiate between those two things that we just said. But verse 8 of 1 John 1 says, If we say that, that we have no sin, that's nature. If we say that we don't have a sin nature, who, who do we deceive? Ourselves, if we say that we have no sin nature, we deceive ourselves. We've taught this again. There's a lot of one-naturists, and one-naturist believes that once you receive Christ, you can, your complete flesh, everything about the is completely done away with inside of us. Well, that doesn't go along with Romans eight verse nine. The flesh is in us, but we're not of it. Okay. And that makes it very, very clear in the scriptures. So, but if it says this, if we say that we have no sin or sin nature, we deceive ourselves. That's who's deceived. And what does it say? The truth is not in us. Right? In what can a believer believe this way? Yeah, this is the context. Right? If we say that we have no sin, that we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In what? In our experience. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We went over this this morning. I'll just touch it briefly so we can get an understanding of it about what confession truly is. Then verse 10 says, if if we say that we have not sinned, (laughs) how many can say that? I don't know. If we haven't sinned, we make him, we make God, we make Christ a liar, and his word is not in us, So again, we brought these truths out, God brought them out to us through the preaching and teaching of the word this morning, and they were very, very, very key for our understanding, even in terms of conscience. Now listen, this is what we need to know the difference of, and this is what we went over this morning. I'll just briefly touch it, and then we'll get back to this. Again, that message was so is so is so vital and important to our experience and to our growth. There's an immense spiritual and moral difference between praying for forgiveness. How many have ever prayed for forgiveness? You sinned and you did something wrong, and you prayed, right? Prayed for for God forgive me, I I did something wrong. God forgive me. Did you ever do that? How many's done that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah here's the difference. There's the difference between praying for forgiveness and confessing our sins. We're told to confess them. We don't have to pray anymore that we'll be forgiven. Even the fact that we can confess them is the fact, what? That we're no longer our sin. That's Romans 7, 17 and 20. It's no more I that do it. But that nature, the, through the flesh, that dwells in us. And we brought this out this morning again, too. Just re- remember, uh, there was a parable that, that Christ spoke, and it was in Luke, the 18th chapter, and in verses 13 and 14. There were two that went in. One was a Pharisee, and another one was, was a poor person, a poor, it says, a poor publican, just someone that was very, very poor, right? And so, the Pharisee went in there, and in his self-righteousness, right away, he started saying, thank you, God, in giving, you know, a a tremendous amount, and then saying, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this man over here, okay? And again, is there any wisdom comparing ourselves with another person, saved or unsaved? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. And so, there's no wisdom in that whatsoever, but... The the poor man, the publican, was beating his chest and what he was crying was, have mercy on me, O Lord. And what he was doing was saying and praying to God to be propitiated so that his sins could be forgiven. He's praying for salvation. Propitiation. And that's how we need to understand propitiation in its first part, which is very, very key. Because the fact of the matter is, When we are praying for forgiveness or confessing our sins, how are we to look at it in reference to the character of God? Who who has been made our character in 1 John 1, 7? It's Christ. Right? It's Christ. Now, we confess our faults one to another, it says, in James 5, 16, and, and, and... and so forth, 16 and 17. We are to confess our sins, or faults, these things. We confess them to each other, right? And these faults. And it's a different word there. But we do, we, we confess them through, through humility and through the grace that God gives us. But the fact of the matter is, do we pray for forgiveness? Should we? According to the scriptures? No. No, we don't pray for forgiveness. This has to do with a cleansed conscience. We confess it. If my conscience wasn't truly cleansed in my position in Christ, then could I even confess it? Would he ask me to? What would I be confessing? Who Christ is, who I'm not, and what I did. Now, will there be godly sorrow with that in 2 Corinthians 7.10? Yeah, but it's never with regret ever. But with worldly sorrow certainly is, as that's in 2 Corinthians 7.10, as that's brought out. So again, there's a difference. When I talk about confessing my sin, it has reference to do with the character of God and the sacrifice of Christ. How many times did he needed to be sacrificed for us? Well, it says in Hebrews 10.10 once. He only had to be sacrificed once. In other words, God only had to be propitiated First and foremost to him about the sin question, and then towards us about our, our sins, right? When we receive Christ, he crucified the old in Romans 6 6. What does that have to do with? Right? What does it have to do with? Are we our sins? Are we our sins? No. No, that's why we can even forgive each other. In Ephesians 4, verse 32. You know, that's a lot different than he taught them to pray in, during the kingdom. In Matthew 6, 14. If you, if you forgive, your Heavenly Father will forgive. If you don't forgive, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. Is that true of the Christian? No. No. Big difference. Huge difference. So they both confessing. Confessing our sins has to do with the character of God and the sacrifice of, of Christ. And that's why it's so very important for us to be taught specifically the Scriptures and always to keep us close to Scripture in what we think and say and do. And it's very, very vital for all of us. Very, very vital. And uh, we went into a lot of these in detail this morning. But for tonight, we're going to continue. And I'm going to read Acts. This is Paul. And He's going before Ananias, the high priest, and he's making a confession to him. And this is what, in his confession, in verse 16, this is what he said. He said this, and herein do I exercise myself. Notice that? Can I exercise your conscience? No. It's very individual, very intimate, very personal. No, can't do it. That's why Paul said, I exercise myself to to have always a conscience void of what? Offense towards God first. (laughs) And then what? Toward man. If I live in a clean conscience toward God and I'm in his presence and I have fellowship, will I offend another? Where do we offend them? We offend them In the flesh, and sometimes we may do it ignorantly, but even ignorance is still functioning in the flesh without knowing it. (laughs) Because you don't have knowledge. Ignorance just simply means without knowledge. Right? And that's all that that says. So he said that. I'll read it again. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and a conscience Void of offense, in that sense, toward man. Now, where do we get this teaching from? This is where we get this from. If you read Hebrews, the ninth chapter, in verse 11, it says this, but, but Christ, being come, a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, that perfect tabernacle was himself, not made with hands, because we know that even his fleshly, his body, was not, he didn't receive that in, in birth from his mom, Mary. It was the Holy Spirit who came upon her and conceived him in her womb. And that's why he has an impeccable. The whole time he walked the face of the earth, he had an impeccable human nature. Impeccable is not liable, can't sin. Not even, it's not even liable. Okay. Did he have a human nature? Yes, he did. Did he have a sin nature? No, he did not. Even that fact, boy, I tell you, would be great to understand uh, pertaining to the scriptures. But Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect or more complete tabernacle. Because even the type of the tabernacle that was in the wilderness, and you'll see that in Numbers, the 10th chapter, how it's brought out. That tabernacle, while they were in the wilderness, on the outside, to look at it, it was all animal skins. But on the inside, it was absolutely gorgeous. That is a type of, again, was there any beauty in him, physically, that we would desire him in Isaiah 53, in verse 2? No, no, nope. There wasn't any beauty in him, there wasn't, it wasn't a physical attraction. That's why the, uh, John the, uh, the Baptist would say would say this, and John, writing it, John the beloved apostle, who's actually the one who wrote who, who the Holy Spirit used to write that. that's why he said in John one and verse fourteen, and the word, Okay? Became flesh. If you see certain translations, you see it was made flesh, you cross it out, he became. He wasn't at one point. He was the son of God. God Almighty. Yeah. You know, sometimes we say first person, second person, third person in the Trinity. Really, there's no such thing. They're all one. <laughs> you don't divide it, right? Yeah. How do you divide one and come up with a complete number? You just don't, Right? That's why they said, when they, he said, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. The word dwelt means he lived as a human being in the habit of, of every human being. Meaning, he didn't have a sin nature, but could he sense pain, hunger, thirst, rejection? Mm-hmm. Could, but in an impeccable human nature. And this is what he they said again. They said in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. His habit was like the rest of us. No wonder it says in John 1, verse 10, he came into the world, the world, the mass humanity, and they knew him not. <laughs> Who's that? That's uh, Joseph's son. That's why in John 7, verse 5, his own truly half, you can call, if you want to call him half. <laughs> they were born with sin natures. But they didn't even believe him in John 7, verse 5. And when they didn't believe him, they tempted him by trying to cause him to prove himself. (laughs) Okay. So the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And then you know what he said? We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of God. He was filled up with all that grace and truth is. And he was a more, as we read here, a more complete tabernacle. Because that was just a shadow or a type of him who was to come. Him who was to come. From the time that the pre-incarnate Christ gave the promise to Adam and Eve in their fallen state, and when you read Genesis 3, verse 15, that promise, the promise that... That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise his heel was a picture of the cross, of when he would come. But that would be 4,000 years into the future. (laughs) When in Galatians 4.4 he would come, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem them. Of course, and that includes every single one of us. But a more perfect tabernacle A more complete tabernacle. See, that's why it says not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. See? And that's why again, again and again and again, we are the church. When you use church, it's the only way it's ever used in all the scriptures. We are the church. The church is never a building, ever. You don't go to church. You can't cancel church. You can't do it because you're the church. Right? And that's why Jesus said it in Matthew 16 and verse 18. He said it. And upon this rock I will build my what? Church. Was you talking about a building? Mm-mm. Talking about you and I. On, on this foundation himself he'll build the church. And all the gates of hell, all the power of hell won't, can't do anything against us. And what a gospel we have. Verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, all those types that could only cover sin. That's why the mercy seat is kaporoth. And when you speak of the mercy seat, you see that in Exodus, the 25th chapter, in verses 17 to 22. The ark and, and that mercy seat with the blood on it. Okay, that is, the, all it could do was cover. That's why David would constantly uh, cry out, Deliver me inwardly. He knew he was delivered outwardly, but inwardly, his conscience. He said, deliver me from blood guiltiness. And where do we experience guilt? Where? Conscience. Yeah, conscience. Are we already delivered? Yeah, we already are. Are we our sins? No. Is that part of our confession? No. No. Are we praying to be forgiven? God, please forgive me. No. God, I did that. Oh, God, I confess it. I confess it. Now, there'll there'll be godly sorrow, but that's not praying for forgiveness. We don't need to. Furthermore, he's even interceding for us. Christ interceding for us when he knows. And because he can declare in Isaiah 46, verse 10, the end from the beginning. Because he knows all things, he knows his works from the beginning, all in Acts 15 and verse 18. And that's why Jesus said in Revelations chapter 1, 8, 11, and 17, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Knowing all things, that's why he said in John 13, Verse 19 and John 14, verse 29. I tell you these things before they come to pass that when they come to pass, you might believe. I'm telling you now to believe. He knows what we're going to do, and we brought it out a little bit this morning. We touched on his anticipative love and his prevenient grace, all right, to keep us in a cleansed conscience. He knows. He knows the areas we'll be tempted in. He does. Knows them. He knows us. You know who else does? You know who else keeps a record of us? Knowing when, where, and how to come right at us? An evil genius with an innumerable host of fallen, evil, demonic angels, <laughs> invisible. Oh boy, we need to rely on him. This is where prayer is such a key in spiritual battle in Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. So he knows. He knows that we we could, in this area, we potentially would go. And he knows where the enemy would come. And instantly, even before we sin, he's he's interceding for us. (laughs) Well, why would he do that? Well, he's the one that dealt with everything. He's the one that's given us an absolutely pure conscience. does. That's why it says in Titus 1 and verse 15, To the pure, all things are pure. But the, the, the unbelieving, what is? What isn't defiled? Can I live like that as a believer? When my conscience is not cleansed and I don't know that, or I refuse to, to be right with God, Him personally, can I be right with anybody else or will I adjust to any other circumstance or situation? No. I just won't do it. I can function in a defiled conscience. Should we? <laughs> And when we fail, what do we do? We confess it. We confess it. You see? Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in, how many times? Once. (laughs) Once. Into the holy place, the holy of holies, to obtain eternal redemption. What kind? Eternal redemption. So we have eternal redemption. What's it based upon? His sack, shedding his blood. Right? That's what it is. Hebrews 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there's no canceling, no doing away, no remission of sins. You see? That's why it says that. So having obtained... Eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, look what it says, purge your conscience from dead works. What are dead works? What did he pay for? Sins. Purge your conscience from dead works. From what? For what? From dead works to what? To serve the living God. You know, and we have that word serve. You know know what that word serve is synonymous with? Worship. That's right. And part of getting us back to a place of this worship is what? Confessing our sins and worshiping in a proper image. Because if I don't, if I lose, if I lose or I don't care about the image of Christ, everything he's done for me, and and get involved with the smallest little, pettiest little things and make a big issue out of them, what am I missing? I'm missing him and his glorified image as not only the son of God, because he's the son of God, okay? by virtue of who he is, is God. He's begotten of God. He's the son of man becoming the head of a brand new race of people, you and I. And the two became one. And that's why we say when when God, the son, became a man, he became a man forever. <laughs> I don't know. Let's, wow. So incredible. So incredible what we have. And, uh, To serve the living God. Then we see Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And this is Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow. Notice what that said? A shadow. Is there substance to a shadow? No. No. But I got to say something. Even when I say this, as I'm thinking about this now was Jesus Christ, the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the earth. Was he? It says that in Revelation 13, verse 8. So even the law was just a shadow of his substance that he would fulfill. <laughs> he had to come. God had to put on humanity to do it. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, look at what it says, and not the very end, image, we said this again this morning, two key words, they're small, don't bypass them when you get into the scriptures, when you get into them. And as best as you can, as best as you can, if you're not, if you're not like most people, then as best as you can, we do have these recorded, but really what helped me with the preponderance of the scriptures is writing them down as best I can. There's something about it that when you do that, there's something about it. And I mean, it worked for me. I can tell you that. And so this is what it says. Not the very image. And those two words are in and of. Look at them in their particular contexts. Again, when, you know, if we're, if we're ready to receive, it's because we were prepared even before we came here. If we weren't prepared, what are we going to do? Tell me what we're going to do. Right? Okay. Not the very image of the things, of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make those that came complete. They just weren't. They were just covered. Remember? Mercy seat. Kaporath. They were covered. Right? And then it says this, for then, would they, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, look what it says. How many times? Once purged. What does it say in your Bible, Juddiel? Yeah. Once purged should have had what? No more conscious, conscience of what? Sins. Meaning you're not to know yourself after them. Now, when we do confess them, there will be a godly sorrow. No question about it. And because we said this, too. And the fact of the matter is, what do I mean by by godly sorrow? Here's the fact. Listen, if we do sin, and we confess it, but if we do sin, conscience will feel it. It's true. Conscience will feel it. We must feel it. God, if we didn't, would there be any growth? We must feel it. We do. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit will make us feel it. Do you know that? He was working on the unsaved on their conscience. Because they would use their conscience in, he, in Romans 2 and verse 14 and 15 to determine good and evil. And even in measure, so, come on, unsaved people, they know basic a basic difference between good and evil. They do. Right? Even basically, they do. And they feel it. But until they have Christ, is their conscience cleansed? No. So they determine it. And then in the flesh, what will we do? With a, with, without a cleansed conscience? As a believer, what will we do? We'll call evil, good. Good evil. Put light for darkness, darkness for light. Bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. You know, when I don't function in a cleansed conscience... That's why it says in Titus 1, verse 15, uh, to the pure, all things are pure. We we mentioned about trees one of these days, about trees. And Jesus, when he healed, uh, they brought a blind man to him, to Jesus. You know, that's why we need to pray for people and pray for each other, because what are we doing? We're bringing the person to who? To Christ, to God. So when we do that, So those disciples, they brought the blind man to Jesus in Mark the 8th chapter and verses 23, 24, and 25. It says, then Jesus, he touched his eyes. And when he touched his eyes, he said to him, what do you see? You know what he said? He said, I see men walking as trees. We're going to get... We're going to get into that, remind me to, because we, we touched on it one of these mornings and it was incredible, but we just barely touched it. <laughs> then the second time, the second time he touched his eyes, he asked him, he said, now what do you see? You know what he said? I see all men clearly. Because when we go by natural sight or fleshly in the Christian, what do we see? We see men walking as trees. We do and then, when the spiritual God comes in for a believer, when He comes in and and convicts them, then what does He see? He see all. He sees all men clearly. Why? Why does a why can a believer now see clearly all men? He has a cleansed conscience. He has a pure image, pure conscience, pure image, pure worship. Just the way it works. It is, and that's why. In 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 43 to 49, the first always, first in us, okay, the first response if we don't wait upon him, speak quickly and not prepared, we'll speak fleshly, we'll speak like natural people. We can't ever be natural again, ever. But we can be carnal, and carnal is very fleshly. And you can, you can be just as evil and just as bad. Whew. I mean, honestly, you know, that's why in heaven there's no good people in themselves, by the way. And every one of us can raise our hand on that one. With the, all the rest that are in the Bible, right? We can see clearly. So here, as this is what it says here. That they should have no more conscience of sin. Who should have no more conscience of sins? Those who have been once purged. Those who have Christ as their propitiation. That's 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Now, 1 John 2, verse 1 says, My little children, we went into that this morning about what that literally means. The little children there is the Greek word technia. T-E-K-N-I-A. Technia diminutive, little ones. And you know when it says little children? That's what Galatians 3 verse 26 is saying. We are all the children of God by faith. And there's three types of children in the church, universal, and three types of children in a local assembly. And if you're following this, you'll really get it, but you've got to really concentrate. You can't, be, you can't be distracted by a single thing because if you, you're going to miss it. And hopefully, hopefully, and this is why we teach the discipline of preparation before you even come. It's so key. But when it says that it's diminutive, what it's saying there is that in the three classes in First John two twelve, there are babes, young men and women, and spir- and spiritual dads, but we're all still as children. We're still all, we're all still his children. Why? And we're going to get into this uh, most likely tomorrow. God is not a respecter of persons. We're going to see what that, if we're not a respecter of persons, what is the cause of that? So awesome. And we touched a little bit on that this morning also, but didn't go into detail. They should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance Again, made of sins every year. So for the legalists, yeah, today, even born again, that preach the law and preach legalism and preach a lordship salvation and covenant theology. Yeah, Jesus did this. Now you have to do this. Last time I checked, it was all done. Finished in John 19.30. He fulfilled, even for the law, in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, he crossed every T, dotted every I, he fulfilled it every jot and tittle. That's why in Romans 10, 4, there is no no law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. Now, as we wrap this up uh, tonight, Verse 4, but it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. In other words, really for us as Christians, what is God relying on us for, from us to take away sins? Excuse me, while they're already dealt with and taken away. Oh, oh, should that go into how we should forgive one? Especially Christian to Christian. Does that go into how we should forgive each other? Because what is, you know when it says, and 1 John 1.9, he's faithful and just. What is just? It's justice. What's that mean? Christ fulfilled the justice and integrity and holiness and purity of God. He had to fulfill that justice before love could flow because they're not separate. And that's why he's faithful. It says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what's that? What is forgiveness? It's a confirmation of his love. And me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a false god and not forgive others. How evil is that? You know, we think we, we don't understand. We will never understand the depth of sin without being condemned. And we will never, unless we walk in the light. And that's our character in 1 John 1, 7. Okay? Because there's two things we will never... Christ settled not only the sin question of the whole world, which went into an angelic conflict as well as humanity, but paying for the sins of how many of those that would receive him? I don't know how many, how many millions? I don't know. (laughs) And I understand that depth. (laughs) I understand the depth of my own sins. Really? No, there's only one that could. That was between the father and the son. There's a reason there was 3 hours of complete utter darkness when Christ was on the cross because of the intensity. It was to be covered. And neither will we know the depth of his love for all eternity for us in Christ because of a beautiful image a purged conscience and to make us worshipers not just in eternity but right now in Hebrews 1315 we can offer the sacrifice of our praise to him and let me tell you that goes into reverence said it wasn't okay if I'm not a respecter of persons it's because I reverence Christ if I don't reverence him I will be a respecter of persons and we're going to get into that what's today when's it tomorrow I'm going to by the grace of God if he has it there's so many, there's the trees and that whole thing, and, and only God knows. <laughs> because I know one thing, I can't keep up. I, I don't have to. He just reveals it to me. Just like he does right here, right? He's revealing it to us all. So we're gonna wrap this up. It isn't possible that the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sin works, fleshly works. Those things are done away with. The law, that all had to do with those sacrifices and all those things they had to do. Christ did away with it. He fulfilled it and did away with it. And by the way, how much far above did he go with his own person above the law? (laughs) How far? How far are we in him? We want to talk about reverencing him. Well... Wherefore, it says, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body have you prepared for me. We'll get into this another time too. I remember preaching this and I I, I taught it in Lee in 2011 um, about what these scriptures mean. Because when it says prepared, we won't get into it now because it's too much, it's too incredible right now and I want to lose track here. But a body have you, what? prepared me a complete tabernacle. Do you know when Christ came, finally, God had a man on earth that would think everything about his father, nothing about himself. What are we like? He finally had a man. Isn't it wonderful to know that he's our peace in Ephesians 2.14, who's broken down the middle wall of petition between us? What do believers have against each other? That hasn't been dealt with. Right? Having abolished in his flesh the enmity with the ordinance contained in the law contained in these ordinances, for to make in himself of true what? One new man. Who are we in Christ when we gather locally? One new man. Divide it. Can you divide oneness? No. Can you divide us from our position in Christ? can't. You weren't talking about forgiveness. Boy, tell me that doesn't start with humility and dependence and God being everything and us being in our proper place. Little nobody's without him. Little everybody's in him. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had what? No pleasure. Because even those that came and offered those, they could offer it without even their will being involved and given over. That, that's, that's why preparation coming to hear the word is our will given over, by the way, and being disciplined. Seriously. And, and it's not a works thing. That's a grace thing. <laughs> it only happens by grace. We grow in grace. And then knowledge in 2 Peter 3.18. Then said I, in verse 7, I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. Which book? Uh, the whole Bible, in the volume of this book. That's why it's called, guess what the Bible is? It's the Holy, what? Word of God. Well, who's the word in John 1.1? It's Christ. So, this is what it says. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to what? To do your will, O God. Who's the only one to fulfill the will of God. That's why he came. That's why he said in John 4, verse 34, he said, My very meat, my very sustenance, is, is what? To what? Do the work and fulfill his what? Will. Can you separate God's will from God's work? Can, is Christ that? Do we have that in him? We have it in him. That's part of ha- us having a cleansed conscience to do your will, above when he said sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you would not, neither had pleasure in them, which are offered by the law. In other words, the flesh gets involved. You know, there's areas where I don't forgive. You know, it's like, that's why, again, we can sing certain songs and worship God if it's truly worshiping him. if it's about understanding him with a cleansed conscience. But to think that I can come and worship God in an area of my heart, I haven't forgiven someone, is God receiving that sacrifice of praise? Is he? Or can sin be in his presence? Okay. Do we have sin in the flesh and sin on the conscience? So, is it right to say that? To say that there's sin on the believer in the presence of God is to call in question the purging efficacy of the blood of Christ and to deny the divine record. But can we say that we do have sin in us? Yeah, where would that be? Conscience. Conscience. So I can come and I can sing and living in sin. What am I doing? Where's that going? Oh boy, it's not going anywhere. Certainly not. Then said I, in verse 9 of Hebrews 10, Lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. He took away the first, not just the law. How about the first of you and I? <laughs> he took away the first. We can't. We, could we have ever done that ourselves? Never. There's certain teachings out there that say, that say, you know, God loves everybody and he gave his son potentially for everybody to receive him, but they just need to give his will over. You mean to tell me it didn't have anything to do with God's will too? I don't know. Where did our will come from? It came from God, right? Then said I, I come to do your will, O God. He took away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will? Whose will? Christ. We are, are we going to be? No, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. Once, right? That's why 10.14 says this, for by one offering he has perfected, completed, fully, eternally completed forever, for all eternity, those that are set apart positionally forever. Now what is he doing to us in time? He is setting us apart experientially. And can he do that? And can I follow him with a defiled conscience? Can't do it. Cannot do it. And won't. Does it change his love for us? Nope. Nope. His love is based upon who his son is and what he's accomplished on our behalf. For him not to love us, he would have to not love his son. Would never happen. That's why the Bible teaches it. That's why God has given us by his grace and truth and given us the Holy Spirit uh, to teach us these things. Again, what does sin, when I sin, does it touch my relationship with God? It can't. It does not touch And we brought this out, and I'm going to bring it out some more. It doesn't touch God's view of us. My sin, based upon my relationship with God, does not touch God's view of me in Christ. Because he would have to have his son crucified again. And we just said he did it once. Job 36, verse 7. He never removes his eye from the righteous. We know that in a far, far greater, higher way than Job ever knew it. You and I right here when we're receiving this truth know it far above how he ever knew it on the earth, ever, right? He never removes his eye from the righteous. My sin cannot touch God. It can't go into his presence. It's been dealt with for us in Christ. But it sure can touch my view Of myself and God and others and that's why we need a cleansed purged cleansed conscience and finally you remember what what Jesus told Peter in Luke 22 verse 31 and 32 he said Simon Simon double salutation I want your attention look at me and that's what he was saying look at me look right at me I have something to say to you Satan has begged of me and desired and gotten permission to sift you as wheat. you know what? You know what they did in the old days, okay? They either they either win it and beat it, or they put it in a sieve, because the shaft was the part that wasn't no nutrition, no value in it whatsoever, which was uh, uh, tied to the corn of wheat, and they'd violently shake it so that the two. One would be separate from the other. This is going into cleanse conscience in another way. But he said, he's begged of me and got my permission to put you in a sieve and violently shake your life. Anybody's life been shaken since then? Thought it was going to be a certain way? Yippee! Ooh, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> and by the way, Satan's on a choke chain. That's a fact. He's on a choke chain. Can only do what will be for our good. Because remember, we're the dot, God's a circle. If he comes through God, it's whose sake is it? It's it's for Christ ultimately be glorified, you and me to be blessed. Okay? Simon, Simon, Satan has desired and begged of me and got permission to, to violently shake you, sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. That's intercession. That's why he he told Mary at the tomb, you you know, you can't grasp me in john twenty sixteen and seventeen you can't hold me here, huh you can't I have to go because I have to intercede not just for you but multitudes He said, i prayed for you, and he didn't pray this you read it he didn't say, he didn't pray to Peter, I pray that you don't fail. He said, I pray that your faith doesn't fail, your absolute dependence on me, and then he said, when you're converted, not if and there's many conversions that happen. When we get cleansed, when we confess our sin in 1 John 1, 9, we have a cleansed conscience it's no longer defiled. We see that all through the scriptures. I believe it's James 3, 6, and I know it's uh, Titus 1 and verse 15. Right? When you're strengthened, convert the brethren. I'll use you. And boy, did he ever, right? After he denied him, and then Christ met him on the shore, and those two messages that he preached, he preached two messages, two of them, And 8,000 people received Christ. (laughs) There was some power. There was some power, the power of Christ in his own individuality and his intimacy that was coming out of him. He was imparting the life of Christ through him. And that's what the Word does. The life of Christ and everything that we have in him has been imputed. It's already been put to our account. That's our position. We need to know it in our experience. That's impartation. That's the difference between imputation, legizomai, everything that was put to our account, and then impartation through the preaching and teaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs)